Hey, girl, hey, welcome back to my podcast. It's your girl, Bella, and you are listening to Girl Talk with Bella. What's up, guys? What's popping? How you been? How's your day? How's your life? How is this whole lockdown treating you? For me, I have to go work. I'm literally in the midst of it, but I'm trying to stay safe, trying to calm down, stay, trying to stay healthy for my family, for me, you know, that type of stuff. But yet again, I just want to know how things are with you. As long as you guys are okay and everything is okay, then I'm okay as well. <laughs> Anyways, so you guys may know that I kind of talked about, um, you know, a couple weeks ago that I want to, you know, start talking about um, about my life, my life story, you know, my little life story um, uh, for season two. And I was, you know, I was kind of nervous. I was actually nervous to even talk about it. Who just want to hear about me, you know? But I feel like it's appropriate to discuss this with you guys and to try to get to know me a little bit more. Besides um, knowing me as an influencer, who am I really? Like, who is Bella, you know? Um, I just want you guys to cry with me, laugh with me, um, just to... uh, connect with me like usual like you guys always connect with me and I want that and I feel like I owe it to you guys I really want you guys to know who am I really you know just to get um, a lot of detail about me you know um, because you guys have grown with me you have shared uh, laughter for the past years um, actually watch my video shared my content comment a lot of stuff so I feel like you guys connected with me more um, throughout the years so I just think it's appropriate time for me to share this journey with you guys. But for season two, I wanted to do things a little different, mainly talk about my life story and also focus on other topics as well. So as of right now, I don't know how many parts or um, episodes will be for um, the American dream, the belly use of story. I do not know that because once I start talking about my life and everything that happened to me, there's no specific um, episode, but I just want to keep on uh, going until I say, okay, I'm actually done with the episodes. So anyways, who is Bella Yusuf? Who is Bella? Um, Yes, she's an influencer. Yes, she's a caring yes she's caring yes she's loving yes she's funny yes she is um creative yes she is um relatable yes she is understanding and bella yusuf also known as istanbul for her friends and family only just a couple people know me by my real name just a small amount but a lot some of you guys probably remember me mentioning that's my real name yes istanbul is my real name and my mom she used to get like that's your daughter's real name and she's like yeah that's my daughter's real name and um the only time the only reason why i went by bella was um i used to work at a nursing home they couldn't pronounce how to say my real name or my nickname that was given to me in high school and stuff. Pookie it was my nickname, actually. And when I got hired, I said, you know, do you have a nickname? You can't say your real name. And I said, yeah, um, they call me Pookie. And they was like, no, we're not going to use that. It's urban. Yes, exactly. That's what they said. Oh, we can't use that. It's urban. Is there another name you go by? I was like, you know what? A couple people used to call me Bella. How about Bella? And that's where Bella came from. And I really like the name. And I love Bella. It's really cute. I really, it fits me. I think it fits me more than Pookie. 
I feel like Pookie. I'm just like a thug. Pookie sounds like more thuggish, where Bella sounds sweet, you know? Anyways, um, so Bella Yusuf was born January 28, 1989, to uh, both immigrant parents. Before arriving to this country, um, we were living life in Somalia. And I was, I would say, I think I was five at that time, living in Somalia before the war broke down. We fled Somalia when I was five years old. And I remembering, um, yes, I was five, and I remember these things. Um, I remember my parents um, and my two siblings were rushing towards the boat. A lot of people were rushing towards this small boat. I'm talking about it could it could hold up to like 15, 20 people. It's small. And there were about like eight families with their children in that boat. Even though I feel so bad that some of the family members that some of the families didn't make it, but I'm glad that we made it, you know? So we basically um, get into this small boat with eight families and their children. Um, I would say about 30 people in this boat. And to our journey to Kenya, that's when you start noticing that the boat becomes um, lighter. By the time we reach to Kenyan shores, people have died People uh, um, throw their children off the boat. Some of these people have to throw the entire family in the ocean because they were because they were because they were deceased and there was no food. We were surviving on like piece of bread and like water that everybody was taking turn to drink. Um, by the time that I remember my mom and dad telling me this, by the time that we hit the Kenyan shores, that that's when they finally, you know were like so happy that they made it. They were so happy that they made it. And a lot of these people were exhausted. They didn't know the language. They didn't know where uh, where they were at that time. Uh, they just needed help. Finally, when we arrived, I would say a year, we lived in a, um, a camp that, you know, sponsored us and stuff like that. And then that's when our grandma... Um, my grandmother found us and, you know, said, hey, you know, I have a good connection with, you know, someone that I used to um, work with. He owns this mini mansion, and that's where we lived and reside for about, I would say, for about um, three years or, yeah, three or two years we lived there. Now, we were not the only one who was living in this little min- in this little mansion it was our cousins, my aunts, and uncles. Everybody lived there. It was like a mini mansion, but at the same time, it was big. You know, it could hold up to like 15 families. And finally, when the two years, three years were up, the guy tells my grandmother, hey, look, um, I'm going to sell my property, and I want you and your family to actually move out. Uh, try to find something else. And that's when, you know, again, a world came crashing down, right? And um, when you finally felt that peace as a kid, okay, and now you're like, okay, I have a home, you know. I, You know, there's animals. You know, there were chickens and goats, just like farm. And there were like uh, vegetables. There were like um, fruits and stuff like that. And your parents telling you that um, we're going to be refugees again 
and just be prepared after enjoying this little um, um, luxury, if you want to call it. I remember my grandmother was uh, leaving, and um, my grandmother had, I think my grandmother had a couple um, sponsor um, um, certificate or something like that, or sponsor um, cards, and I guess she gave it to my uncle. And my uncle and his family got to go wherever she took them, and now you have us, right? You have us, and we don't know what to do. So we end up staying in Kenya. We actually um, seeked asylum in Kenya, saying, look, we don't have no birth certificate. We don't have papers. We don't have no sponsorship. We don't have nothing. And then finally, um, and then they took us to this camp, Benadiri. They took us to this camp. It's called Benadiri. If I recall it, I'm not sure. Um, and that's when we lived there for two and a half years. I'm going to tell you about the condition. Okay. We arrive. We arrive at this refugee camp and live there for two and a half years. When I tell you the living condition, it's unfathomable. It's crazy. I don't even want to even wish for my worst enemy. Okay. And then we had to wait hours by the gate or the office. They call it. It was like a, a gate by the gate before we even had our own little section, a hut, our own little hut section, a.k.a. our little hut house. Okay. Nothing fancy, nothing cool about the hut. First of all, okay, for those who want to try to live in a hut, nothing cool and fancy about that. So we register and they take care of us. And when I mean take care of me, hours later, okay, um, they count how many family members arrived with us. Basically, some women end up have given birth at the camp. Like they would come in with three kids, end up having um, eight kids. You know, yes, that happens in the camp. And my mom ended up having having two kids in the camp. It was my sister's. And um, once you come to the camp, you register, make sure how many people are with you, just in case you end up having more kids inside of the camp. And I don't know why some of these women like to have a lot of kids in the camp because it's it's we can't even feed like the the three of them that you have. But that's besides the point. My mother ended up having two of my sisters at the camp. Yes. And, um, girl, and then, and then we, and then my parents end up receiving great news about, I would say a year for us staying there for like, not just my mom, just everybody that lived in the camp. It was like, okay, they're going to be a missionary people coming to, um, to the camp. They're going to, um, Literally, this is what they prepared us. They prepared us to say all of this stuff, okay? There's like, they're going to be missionary people coming to the camp. Um, they're going to bring clothes. They're going to be toys. Look clean. Look, look, basically, look adoptable. You know what I'm saying? Look adoptable. Look alike, like, they look alike, basically look as if they will feel sorry for you. So they could give you food, clothes, and whatever you need. We also came what we have, like our luggage and stuff. We we came with it. Some of these people didn't have nice clothes. You know, some of these people didn't have family. Some of these people were young teenagers, didn't have parents. And for them to say, okay, look presentable so people adopt you, okay, stop looking um, um, stop looking homeless, it's kind of triggering for me, you know. Um, 
missionaries came, um, introduced themselves to us. A lot of missionaries would come and go, really sweet people, kind people, and they would they would come, talk to the children, give the children toys, candies, and the parents clothes, books, and the good news that we received was also as, okay, some of you families might go to the United States, some of you guys might not. Oh my goodness. Imagine telling imagine telling 200 people that lived in the camp that. Some of you guys might go to um, America and some of you guys might not until um, the year after. Imagine that. My parents will go every morning to the um to the UN, like to the place where they take care of you being sponsored to America and stuff like that, right? They would go every morning. They would walk. They would go every morning. And then finally, um, my mom get like a great news, like, okay, look, you know, we'll think about it. We'll review your case. And if we approve it, then you're good to go. Six months has passed by, right? Still, we're still in the same place. And then something horrible happens. My dad gets sick. He can't get up. My dad can't walk. He, he, he's not able to walk. He can't get up at all. Come to find out that my dad got sick off of malaria. Mosquitoes loved my dad's body. They loved his blood. They loved his blood. My dad was bed, bedridden in the floor, sleeping in the floor for eight months, couldn't walk. They used to like, I remember th- this girl in the village would come and help out clean um, my dad, um, he has been bedridden for eight months. And then I remember, um, my mom would fight for my dad and say, please give him like vaccine or medicine to make him feel better. Please. She would go back and forth crying. She's like, I have small children, please. And then they finally would give him something and it would always last for like two weeks. And then he gets sick again. My dad, OMG. It's like, until this day is one of those things that I'm very thankful. He always say that. I'm very thankful. I don't know how did that happen. I'm very thankful. He's always very thankful. And he start tearing up when he actually um, remember that. Um, it, it make it kind of, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. We thought that we, um, we were going to lose him. We really thought we were going to lose him. And, oh. I remember him saying, it's okay, just leave without me. I remember the look on his face. He was scared and sad. He was all, he looked like a bone. He he looked like a skeleton. And that breaks my heart. And I I tell him that I cry sometimes when I think about it. And he said, you remember that? I was like, yeah, I remember that. Duh, dad, you know? And I'm very thankful for everything that happens to my life. Because, um... We, we as human beings are not sometimes thankful um, for the small things that happen to us. It's like, oh, okay, it happened to us. But for me, I try to be thankful all the time for even little things. It may not mean a lot to you. For me, it may, means the world to me. I want to teach myself and my children that to be, you have to be thankful for everything that you get because you could be in somebody else's shoes. You know, you might never know. And um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to lose track um my 
my dad kept receiving these vaccines. He would feel better a month, and then he would not feel because of the malaria. We even had, like, um, 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 mosquito nets for him. It still, it didn't work. He would still get sick. He would never eat nothing. You know, we even had people to help us. We had nurses and doctors in and out our hut, like, like it was like a hospital room, you know. Um, and then I remember the people that work at the like the refugee camp, they would come and talk to my mom like, look, you have to let him go. He's done, you know. Just leave him. He's done. It's okay. It's fine. Just leave him be. He's not going to make it. I'm, I'm so sorry. We trying everything. They was like, we gave him uh, more vaccine and medicine uh, more than anybody in this camp. We love you, honey. You're a great person. You're a very nice person. You help out. But it's time to let him go. You know, and my mom wasn't having it. My mom was a fighter, too. So she fought and fought. And they kept giving him medicine until he felt better. Find this malaria vaccine that already existed, and but they couldn't get a hold of it. And finally, they gave it to my dad. And my dad was good for like six months. And that was like the longest he hasn't been sick, right? He was good for like six months. And then he got sick again. So they kept injecting that malaria vaccine until he felt better. And after um, a year and a half passed, right, we get another um, great news. Okay, honey and Yusuf, guess what? You guys are next in line to go to America. Are you guys excited? You guys are ready to go to America. How do you feel? My mom was like, I feel happy. My dad was like, I feel excited. And I'm over here like cheesing. I don't know what they were talking about, but I'm cheesing, right? And um, they're happy, this and that. They told my parents to wait eight months. And my parents were like, okay, all right. As we waited longer, eight months is nothing, right? So waited long. They wait. So wait, they so my parents wait eight months. And, beside, and again, missionaries come, they give gifts, clothes, food, books, and stuff like that. And I remember as a kid when this blue eye, blonde hair, curly hair named Matthew. And I think I told you guys about him. Blue eyes, blonde hair named Matthew, missionary guy, uh, handed me a book. And the book was an ESL book where it has pictures um, and like basically those books that you teach people who don't speak English or came to the country for the first time. You know what I'm talking about. That book where it says, this is a car. This is a closet. This is a bathroom. This is a living room. That book. It's the ESL book. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, he handed it to me um, because he couldn't find my parents in the hut. My parents were like getting getting some um, sack of beans and corn for us. So I was like literally outside and just chilling, hanging out with no shoes on, with ashy knees and pigtails and cheesing missing tooth yes that was me at the time I was six years old and I'm just swinging my legs and he's talking to me and I don't understand what this guy is saying but now I recall bits and pieces because I speak English now it's amazing how the brain works you remember bits and pieces at first I didn't speak any English I only spoke Somali and Swahili now I don't even speak Swahili I literally I replaced Swahili uh, to English. 
And now I remember him saying, hi, my name is Matthew. What's your name? And I'm just cheesing, looking at this blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy. And he hands me the book. And I'm just cheesing, like, give me some candy. And he gets out the candy, gets out the toy. I was happy. I, you know, I... I remember missionaries as um, the people with the clothes, the candies. That's all I remember them as. I was actually scared of missionaries um, because they were like, a majority of them were white people with blue eyes, brown hair, blonde, um, blonde hair, blue eyes, green eyes, you know, you name it. And I had never seen white people. Imagine white people coming to the camp for the first time. Like, what in the world? I was so scared. And that's probably how the Native Americans felt when Columbus walked on their land. Like, dang, you know what I mean? You, you like, who are these people? Why aren't they in my territory? But they were really, actually, the missionaries people were really nice people. It's just I never saw white people and that was the only first time I recall. And they would like hug you, touch you, touch your hand, you know, preach about something. I don't, until this day, I don't know what they were preaching. So, um, but they were nice people. Anyway, as this missionary guy leaves, uh, my mom and dad comes. My mom kind of got nervous. She was like, what did he say? Did he say something to you? What did, did he touch you? Da -da -da. My mom was really literally defensive she was in defense mode of course every mother would be very defensive when it comes to their children i don't care what you say she's like did he touch you what did he do did he say anything i was like no he gave me candy and book that's all that's what i said and she was like so you ended up taking the candy and eating it right take it out of your mouth and spit it out it could be poison for all we know that's what my mom said <laughs> my dad was like relax relax and she looked at my dad Oh, you eat it then. You eat it. Talking about relax. So I was that type of kid that I liked to talk to anybody, uh, no matter what background you were. Um, it was just like, it was pretty cool to me. <laughs> what a coincidence, right? I'm an influencer and I like to talk to everybody. <laughs> Looks like I found my calling, right? <laughs> but anyways, uh, my mom was kind of upset at me because I took the candy from the guy. But I liked the toys. So I spit out the candy, but I kept the toy anyway. And he also gave me some clothes, like a bag of clothes. So I had to share with my siblings. Even though I didn't want to, he gave it to me. I said, Matthew, give it to me, not y'all. So stop taking my clothes. Anyways, my mom was like, I have to share. So I did. This all happening in the camp. Girl, drama happened in the camp. Um, fighting happened in the camp. Kidnapping happened in the camp. You guys, it gets crazier and crazier. Well, that's all the time that we have for episode one of The American Dream, The Bella Yusuf Story. Make sure to subscribe, share, like. I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Peace and love.